0: Welcome to Mom Jeans! I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And whether you wear a boyfriend, bootcut, high-rise, or low-rise, this podcast is going to teach you to love the jeans you're in.
1: So mamas, put your booty in a chair and let's get started.
0: Welcome to episode three, your jeans. Your DNA is essentially a long molecule that contains your unique genetic code And when a baby is forming in the womb, the continual splitting of the DNA allows the fetus to continue to form. Your DNA formation is completely out of your control, yet so much of our external appearance and body shape, which is determined by our DNA, is advertised to us as changeable. So what does this all have to do with mom genes? Today we're gonna discuss what is in your control and what is simply your genetic makeup. Tina, I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this because I know this is going to be your jam.
1: Yep. So Rachel and I thought it would be cool to research how each of the body parts we are talking about today rates in regards to our genetic makeup. And basically, this is what we found. Research rates our genetic traits as high, medium, or low heritability. Heritability is basically how well differences in people's genes account for their differences in their traits. So here are some high examples, which basically means nothing about the environment will really affect it. So those are eye color, height, finger length, shoe size, and blood type. I thought it was the coolest thing when I noticed that my son had some genetic traits that were specifically from me and specifically from my husband. So, for example, he has detached earlobes, which comes from me. He has a dimple on one of his cheeks, which comes from me. And then he also has this really cool dimple above his lip, which I don't have, but my husband has. Uh, And he can roll his tongue, which my husband cannot. So I thought that was really cool. What do your kids have, Rachel? Have you noticed that?
0: I've noticed that my kids' behaviors are a lot more genetic than I would have realized. Um, as far as physical characteristics, there's definitely eye shape, nose shape, hair color, all of that, that just, this is who they are. And it's really cool to see how they look like someone.
1: Yeah. As he's growing up, I'm just like, oh my God, that came from me specifically. And I love it. Anyways, back to this. So... Some medium examples, which would be strong genetic factors, but environment can influence them, are things like IQ, diseases, and weight. Because I thought it was interesting that weight was a medium trait, I tried to dig in a bit more into the research about genetics in our body. And I did find that genetics does play a role in how full you feel, your appetite levels, and how your body burns energy. However, I was really, really frustrated because most of these studies or articles were all talking about weight in regards to weight loss. Like, why can't I just find information without finding weight loss associated to it? So unfortunately, I couldn't find an unbiased study that was giving me information about our body and genes that didn't have to do with changing the body through weight loss. Ultimately, genetics do play a role in our body, but environment also plays a significant role. We do have the genetic makeup of our family, but ultimately do have the power over our lifestyles. And then low examples would be no genetic factors at all and its only environment would be things like learning a specific language or a specific religion. So even though I thought that our weight should be a high rating on this scale, it's actually a medium. We can alter it, although our genes will push it back to its normal place. Like we have a set equilibrium where we like to, where our bodies really like to flow, but but we can manipulate that and fight our genetics. Uh, this would be an example of how it would be altered that. It isn't a societal diet or restriction. If you are a professional athlete, you're going to override your genetics because your environmental factors are so extreme. So if you're working out multiple hours in a day and hopefully eating enough to support that, you are going to possibly change the way your body will naturally be shaped if you weren't an athlete or working out.
0: I like that example because for so many people, they look at what they would maybe see as the ideal body type and say, look, it is achievable. And to a certain degree, this whole concept of genetics that we're going to discuss today is that just because it's achievable doesn't necessarily mean it's genetics. So you can potentially achieve an ideal body type for a cyclist, if that's your athletic ability. but. The second you change your regimen, your body is going to naturally go back to where it genetically needs to be and predisposed to be.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So like you can fight it, but it's going to push back. If you let it go, it'll return back to where it likes to be. So really the only lowest examples that we have or the only low examples that we have where it's absolutely no genes in all environment, like I said before, which is like a specific language or religion. But it's things that we're doing to our bodies, like tattooing or dyeing our hair or plastic surgery, you know, if that's what you end up choosing to do.
0: I also really appreciated when my son was young how his hair would really bleach out in the summer. It was genetically just what what happened to him. But it made my uh, non-natural highlights look very natural as well because we now had matching hair color. But... So for the purpose of this podcast, when we
1: discuss a physical trait that often quote-unquote bothers moms or is a source of advertisement as something we can quote-unquote change, we'll let you know if it falls under the high, medium, or low category of heritability.
0: For me as a psychotherapist, I'm much more fascinated by the nature versus nurture debate, which is largely discussed regarding behavior and environmental triggers that affect how people end up in life. But because we're talking about the DNA aspect right now, a parent and a child share 99.5% of their DNA. So the term heredity refers to what causes people to be different from one another. So nature is our heredity and nurture is our environment. So these debates really look at what in our genes is 100% genetic versus what can be influenced by environmental output. Interestingly, even though environment can affect genes, genes will also determine the types of environment people seek out. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. So we're going to discuss today about how to accept the things on your body that are largely due to heredity. And how do you practice self-love or acceptance on things of your body and story that are due to your lifestyle, medical, or even psychological diagnoses and some upbringing? We want body acceptance here to be always at the forefront of everything we discuss. And so please keep that in mind that that's the theology that we're holding on to as we discuss all of this. Tina, why don't you share with us a little bit more about... DNA and how that determines our bone structure and our weight, because I know for a lot of moms listening to this, this whole concept of mom genes is accepting what's in our genes and also trying to figure out, well, is this the best size of my genes with a J, or is there something that environmentally I need to figure out?
1: So our DNA determines bone structure, resilience to weight gain or loss, and explains the genetic components of weight. We are only really going to discuss generalities of curves and bone structure in this episode because in our next episode, we're going to dive into the weight part. So as a dietitian, I believe that we all have a certain body design in which we and our bodies are the happiest. And ultimately, that may trigger a lot of people because and cause slight arguments But when working with individuals that have been trying to fight their body's natural genetic design, I found that really in the nutrition rehabilitation, the individual's bodies really always returns to its happy place, whether or not I force it. And I always communicate when working with individuals that there's no way that I possibly can know where your body's going to end up. A lot of the times I'm just meeting the person initially or only working with them a few times and people are really asking me what's going to happen to my body and it's impossible for me to know but what I do know and I'm 100% on is that in this process your body knows what to do and it's going to return to its place because it's your genes your genes are driving that so I don't need to control it So that being said, our bodies do have that natural balance equilibria and equilibrium and is designed a certain way so it can function at its best. Meaning, if we are in homeostasis, our body is functioning the way it's supposed to be. So that means our hormones are happy, we're connected to our hunger fullness, we're pooping normally, and our sleep patterns are really great, we have emotional regulation, Etc.
0: I love those examples because I really feel like whenever I'm talking to a lot of my mom friends about how our bodies are currently functioning, sure, we're all looking at the obvious outside package of the weight, but it's really interesting when some of my mom friends that I'm really close with can discuss, you know, I'm not sleeping as well. Or, yeah, I've noticed that my body's reacting differently to certain foods these days, and maybe I'm pooping a little bit more or less than usual. Yeah. I've got some really cool friends. <laughs> Um, we can also just talk about how different birth controls affect our hormones. And so I love this whole conversation we're having today about the DNA of it all because everyone's DNA and genetics are so different. It's not just about weight. One person's going to react differently to a, the same IUD as someone else, one other person's right. going to be able to eat certain types of food, the other person's not. And has nothing to do with the outside package. So I appreciate right. those examples. What we want people to really understand is accepting your genetic makeup is much more than just about accepting your weight. The other yeah. thing that I thought was interesting is bone structure. So our bone structure determines our body weight range because bones make up for 15% of our weight. So how clothes fit us according to our curves has a huge piece of what our bone structure is and the ease of which we develop muscle mass is also a piece of genetic makeup. Again, I really try to encourage my friends to let go of the number on the scale and let go of the number on the pants label and really understand that your body is uniquely yours and you cannot control your bone structure, you cannot control your muscle mass, you cannot control a lot of different aspects of that, and so body acceptance is complicated.
1: For sure. And how our butt and boobs are in proportion and cannot be changed. We can't fight that. It's our bodies. So we all have a certain body type that we really cannot shift unless we are changing it through that low heritability. So plastic surgery, tattooing, you want to tattoo makeup on your face? Go for it. But that's, you can't, you can't shift it. Uh, some people believe that we can target gain, lose with exercise. So Rachel, when you're saying, Hey, we can't change our muscle mass. The first thing that pops in my head is some people are really going to argue that and say, yeah, you can, like I could lift the crap out of my upper body and really bulk up here. But what we're saying is, is that certain people develop muscles really easily and others don't. Like for the longest time, I had a six pack. (laughs) I don't remember the last time I did any sort of ab workout. But my genetics allows me to really hold on to muscle mass really well. I don't have a six-pack anymore, but that's okay. you know. So that's what we're talking about when we say that muscle mass really can't be changed.
0: That's a good example. My husband and I were chatting the other day when we were out by the pool because in Orange County, the body types are... uh, Pretty equal to society's expectations. And so mm-hmm. it can be a little triggering at times. Yeah. So anyway, my husband and I were chatting about it And I asked him if he ever got insecure about his body type. And if this is a thing for him. And we are going to chat about dad bods later in this season. But the one thing that he said that was interesting to me was, you know, the only way I could ever have that stereotypical masculine body type and be totally ripped and jacked is if I was a complete gym rat. Because... My body is one who can run long distances. My husband, at a drop of a hat, can run a ridiculous long distance without even breathing too heavy. That makes me
1: upset because if I want to train for a long-distance run, it takes me a really long time to train.
0: So Every Sunday. He yeah. goes out and comes back a couple hours. Uh, I don't even know where he goes. Yeah. But that's the point. He's like his body genetically because of his uncle yeah. and because of some of the other men in his family have passed down this more marathoner body. He's not a gym rat. He's not going to be able to lift heavy things, but he can outrun all of those guys. For sure. So a huge piece of genetic makeup is also exploring this is just what my body is and this is what it, I can do with it and this is the way it kind of genetically wants to work out best, look best, et cetera. Yeah, we can't can't fight that.
1: Now, granted, I can go out and I can really put in the strong effort to train for a long-distance run and work on my speed and whatever, but I'm never going to be your husband or my husband's never going to be your husband and just be able to go Mm -hmm. out there and do it because that's not in our genes. So we can't really fight that. So kind of going back to... What I was talking about before with our weight and body size, research shows that where we store weight is genetic, which is ultimately what determines if we're pear-shaped, apple-shaped, whatever shape we're going to be. So even if we try to alter our size through diet and exercise, which is a medium trait because there's environment and genes, we ultimately cannot shift that true shape of our body, which is deep genetics. And this is because our genetics will continuously override our environment when it comes to our body. So that medium trait heritability, our genes are going to try to override the external and that environment.
0: Thank you for all of that scientific background. I think that really helped me and other moms out there who don't have that really understand how much power our genetics hold for determining how we look. For me as the therapist, I like to obviously look into the emotional aspect of things. And my question is just why is the mom bod so negative? The fact that we are having an entire podcast on this is really showing how we have such anxiety about what it's going to look like when we have kids and how our mom bod is going to react to birthing children. I think the fear of becoming your mom has become something that has really been marketed to. It started in the 1960s with Weight Watchers. It was actually founded by a woman named Jean who described herself as a frustrated overweight housewife. So much to read into oh with that goodness. statement. Who was basically saying none of her fad diets worked, maybe because of her genetics.
1: Or because fad diets don't work.
0: Yeah, or that. <laughs> and she got her other mom friends to basically form accountability support groups to help change the mom bod. It started as a way to build empathy and support around moms, but within a few years, all these moms were so desperate to fight this mom bod and putting so much money into this concept that within a few years, it was sold to Heinz, the ketchup company, for millions of dollars. And then 20 years later... It was sold for $700 million. All of this is playing on our fear of the mom bod.
1: I feel like that, like, time period, we're all, as moms, so sensitive. You know, we have like raging hormones going on. We just gave birth to this, like, really cute little baby, and we're sensitive. So they're like attacking our sensitive sensitivity. It's not fair.
0: And what they're basically saying is the mom bod is to be feared because it's going to alter how you, quote unquote, truly look. Yeah. So here's your body and then you have a baby and oh, look what that did to you. This is all bad or it's just factual or genetically when we get pregnant and when we give birth and when we are nursing, our bodies will change. And the way everyone's changes is going to be completely determined on their genetics. It Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with laziness or lack of exercise or lack of cellulite creams or stretch mark creams or any of that. Your body's reaction is 100% genetic. It is a very high trait. There is some medium qualities as far as, I guess, whether or not you can do certain exercises or whatever.
1: Or your food habits. or I mean, there's there's so many different environmental factors that come into play there. But I hear what you're saying in that, like, hey, your body's going to do what it's going to do. And so we don't need to really shame ourselves into thinking that how we look after giving birth. That that's a bad thing your body just kicks some butt and birth this baby and grew the baby I mean I can't even get into that it still blows my mind how
0: yeah I mean for me I feel, think this anxiety of how we look and what we cannot change plays into our diet culture and into fat phobia I think educating moms on the health at every size episode which we'll go into next episode mm-hmm is really helping them understand how much of our fears of other people judging us, our fears of losing control of our body and our fears of not being good enough are all still tied to these cultural stigmas of weight and size. I just feel like we need to stop putting so much meaning on our shapes and our sizes, especially if our health is fine. And accepting our genetic makeup is the big way to do that. Whenever I talk to young women, they all express how much fear they have that having children will impact their bodies and launch them into a whole new level of body dissatisfaction. It really hits me that these bodily changes that moms experience are still viewed so negatively and with so much fear that I think giving some perspective on the genetic nature of these mama marks, quote unquote, and the fact that your body will change as you age, even if you don't have kids, might help people just accept it and not fear it or fight it. So Tina and I are gonna discuss some of these typical, quote unquote, mama marks. We just made up that term, but we didn't really know how else to explain it. So first we wanna talk about cheese. And by cheese, I mean cellulite, no. Tina. Teach us about cellulite.
1: I do really like cheese. But yeah, (laughs) we're going to talk about cellulite, which is medium in heritability. Okay, so what is it? Why do we get it? And is there anything that we can do about it? All right, people, listen up. When I was doing the research about cellulite, I found that no one really knows the true cause, effect, and ways to get rid of it. It's one of those idiom type of things that happens. But the reason behind it is that there that no one knows is that there's too many factors that ultimately can influence it. But one consistent trend is that our genetics are highly involved. I'm going to explain what cellulite is and then I'll dig a little bit deeper. Cellulite is a condition in which the skin has a dimpled, lumpy appearance. It usually affects the butt, thighs, but also can occur in other areas of the body. The reason why it occurs in those areas is because that's generally where we hold more fat. So cellulite occurs when fat deposits push through the connective tissue beneath the skin. Stat shows that roughly between 80 and 90% of women will probably experience cellulite. So reason being, hormones and fat. Yay. So genetics make you more prone to cellulite depending on the thickness of your skin, the way your body deposits fat cells, and the makeup of your genetic tissue. But that's not 100% of the cause. Other factors, which is why it's a medium trait, include exercise, hydration, food intake, etc. A little bit more in depth about cellulite and hormones is that Estrogen and other hormones have an impact on our blood vessels. And as we age, our estrogen decreases, which causes our circulation to decrease. Loss of circulation means decrease in collagen, which allows the cells to push through that layer of the skin. Women get this annoyed me, but whatever. Women get more cellulite than men because we have higher estrogen levels and because we have three layers of fat around the stomach, knees, hips, and butt.
0: I was really fascinated by that because when I read this study as well, I saw the stat that only 10% of men will get cellulite. Which is so fascinating because we literally have three extra layers of fat around our stomach, knees, hips, and butt. Like you just said, those three extra layers of fat is exactly what makes us able to carry children and be able to reproduce. And that is just the genetic component of the difference between male and females.
1: So yeah, we have all those extra layers of cushioning because we're supposed to have babies. How cool. I love it. But it's making us more prone to cellulite. So according to the Mayo Clinic, men have connective tissue that crisscrosses. So those men don't have, they have a small risk for those fat cells to be poking through and give them those dimple appearances.
0: I wish you all could see Tina's crisscrossing hands right now.
1: I know, just crisscross and preventing...
0: Picture some hashtagging going on.
1: Yeah. But for us, women, our connective tissue looks completely different. So that's why our fat pushes through. Estrogen also makes fat and testosterone breaks it down. So literally, women's bodies are genetically designed to develop cellulite to have more fat. If we think about cellulite being a medium heritability trait, and we go, OK, that's our genetics. Our bodies are designed to have babies, have more fat, and have those fat cells push through. Men, not the same case. We, can, we can't fight those genes. But we can engage in positive behaviors to allow our bodies to be healthy and well. So things that we can do, behaviors that we can do to make sure that we have healthy habits are things like moderate and gentle exercise, staying hydrated, having balanced nutrition, engaging in self-care. Those are all things that make this a medium heritability, and that's our environment. So even though you can engage in all these environmental behaviors, if your genetic makeup is for cellulite, the likelihood of you developing more cellulite is higher than someone who is not predisposed for cellulite. So I always encourage people to make their health a priority by engaging in these positive behaviors, but beyond that, we can't fight our genetics. Rachel, what can we do about this?
0: Well, like you said, while some exercise weight loss and baby oils are said to decrease cellulite. It's not that it's getting rid of fat cells. It's literally increasing circulation and potentially, I say potentially breaking up those fatty deposits, but the fat cells will always remain. Genetics just determine how they settle to produce that dimly look in the skin. So cellulite or lack thereof, isn't about being fat at all. It's about your circulation and your tissues. One stat I read suggested not to wear tight panties because it could decrease <laughs> circulation in that area and maybe increase your cellulite. So ladies, get out those saggy granny panties. Man. <laughs> so personally, I'm going to stick with my normal underwear and embrace the cellulite.
1: <laughs> I'm going with the grannies. <laughs> JK.
0: Personally, I am always very fascinated by the psychological component of all of this, like I've mentioned. So I like to look back a little bit about when cellulite became marketed to women as a problem. This didn't really occur until 1970, when women were even beginning to expose their legs in public. Before then, photos of women were far and few between because we didn't have the technology. And if they were showing their legs, they were young because of their culture. So basically the skimpier our clothes have gotten over the years and the more photos we have taken, the more aware we've become of comparison and cellulite. So the bottom line is cellulite has not become more of a problem. It's the increased beauty obsessed culture and the marketing that has actually marketed cellulite as an issue. My gosh. There's actually a fun hashtag out there on social media. That's trendy right now. It's hashtag cellulite where people are just embracing their cellulite and enjoying the beach and loving it and accepting it. I love that. We're also going to link in our show notes, some fun scientific articles about cellulite. So you can read more about this topic. All right, let's talk about spiders. And I don't mean the creepy collies.
1: Spiders.
0: I mean varicose veins. Personally, I am very fascinated by this because my mom has varicose veins that are pretty severe.
1: My mom has varicose veins.
0: There you go. And yay! there is a huge genetic history in varicose veins, which is very fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna chat about varicose veins now. This is a medium to high heritability. So what are varicose veins? Varicose veins are twisted or enlarged veins and any vein can become varicose. They are more likely to occur in your legs because standing and walking put pressure on these veins. So they are both cosmetic and possibly painful. Growing up, I always remember my mom complaining about her varicose veins in her legs and some of them are pretty gnarly and they look super painful. And then I became curious on how does this happen, am I going to get them, I'm scared. Well, genetics do play a role because like I said, it's a medium to high on heritability Yes, if your family has these veins, you are more predisposed to get these veins because genetically you have the weakness or strength of your veins. That is actually inherited. Basically what happens is the weak or damaged valves of the veins can lead to varicose veins. Arteries carry blood from your heart to the rest of your tissues and veins return blood from the rest of your body to your heart. So the blood can be recirculated. To return blood to your heart, the veins in your legs have to work against gravity, so it's like pumping it all the way up your leg. Muscle contractions in your lower leg act as pumps and elastic vein walls help blood return to your heart. Tiny valves in your veins open as blood flows towards your heart and then closes to stop blood from flowing backwards. Unfortunately, if you got the weak veins, the blood can flow backwards and pool in the vein, causing the vein to stretch or twist. I mean, that just sounds so gnarly.
0: I mean, I feel like we have a new insecurity. Are my valves weak? Are my valves weak? Gosh. (laughs) So, if genetics play a huge
1: role, then to me, why does my mom have them and I don't? So let's look at how the environment plays a role because my mom has them, I don't. This is what I wanna know. So many environmental factors contribute to varicose veins. Some of them are hormone changes in females, the pressure of the pregnant belly, our age, our overall weight, frequency of exercise, just sedentary lifestyles, so which could be a job. These all can contribute to the weakness of our veins. However, it is not a cause and effect type system. Plenty of high moving, exercise loving, non desk job working people develop varicose veins.
0: I really agree with that example you gave of the exceptions because my mom has some severe varicose veins and my sister inherited them, but I didn't even though in every other way of the word, I have my mom's body. Yeah. Like I said last episode, we look so much alike. And yet, my sister got the veins. Ironically enough, she was a teacher. She stood at work. I sit as a therapist. She had two pregnancies. I had three. So I, quote unquote, should technically be the one to develop it, but she did. Genetics were 100% at play with us. The example you gave about how high-moving, exercise-loving people still develop varicose veins, I have a friend who really feared that pregnancy would lead to varicose veins and becoming her mom because she knew the genetic chance was very high. She exercises very regularly. She is high energy. She's always moving. She did not have a sitting desk job. She got veins and she even needed to have a little bit of a procedure to take care of them because they were getting really painful. So again, I looked at why do we have this fear? And she and I chatted about it. Like what are our associations with this mom bod? For me, I think it's just, for me, I think if we peel back the layer, what we're really scared of is age and growing older. I think we're fearful of becoming irrelevant in a culture that really promotes sexuality and attractiveness. I think if you go back to the story episode of our moms speaking negatively about themselves, we then have a negative correlation about these body parts and these quote-unquote mama marks. And I think overall getting older in general in our culture is frowned upon. I think it's a lot less about fear of veins or fear about cellulite and much more about a fear of getting older and a fear of change. So I like to look at the psychological piece of it and I challenge you to dig a little bit deeper into what your fear is actually about.
1: I love that we have this dynamic where it's like I'm going to give you the science. You're going to tell me all the therapy because that gets me thinking. I love it. Thanks, Rachel.
0: I love it. All right, Tina, let's talk about zebras now. And I don't mean the animal. (laughs) I I mean stretch marks because that is a big thing that a lot of mamas get very self-conscious about. And that is when we start changing in our two pieces for our one pieces. Yes. So can you teach us about stretch marks?
1: Yes. What the heck are they? So stretch marks are... The middle layer of the skin, aka the dermis, tears when your body grows or changes rapidly. These small tears below the skin have different textures and colors depending on the age of the tear and your skin tone. And they happen because your body is stretching or growing faster than your skin can keep up. This causes the elastic fibers just below the skin to break or tear. So stretch marks are high on the heritability scale. So how much of our behaviors and self-care can battle our genetics when it comes to stretch marks? Well, according to research, it shows that there is not much you can do to prevent stretch marks if you have a high genetic predisposition to getting them. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ensure that you're drinking enough and hydrated, eating balanced, taking care of your body to help either heal the marks or decrease them. However, genetics plays a very strong role in the development or whether or not you're going to get stretch marks. I will say that I held my baby in my body for 41 weeks and six days and my belly towards the end of my pregnancy got so big that I could put a full dinner plate on my belly and not touch it. So it was huge. I didn't get stretch marks because my mom doesn't have stretch marks. My grandma doesn't have stretch marks. Her mom doesn't have stretch marks. Well, she's not here anymore, but you know what I'm saying. So if I was going to get stretch marks, I would have gotten stretch marks.
0: That's a good example that it's not necessarily anything you can or cannot do. It is what it is. Many people develop stretch marks at young ages, middle school and high school during growth spurts. And that is absolutely inherited because they probably have weaker collagen.
1: So my husband has stretch marks because when he was younger, he hit this massive growth spurt and grew like five inches in two months. And he actually has stretch marks on the front of his
0: hips. So while this is not necessarily always a mama mark, it is also something that can happen more in pregnancy due to the collagen and the hormone changes. There is nothing we can do to prevent them despite what beauty product manufacturers say. Lotions, cocoa butter, they can make the skin smoother and they can keep it hydrated and make it less irritated, but they will not prevent stretch marks. So ladies, wear that two piece with pride. Wear
1: it. I will say that there really are some nice one pieces out there. So if you wear a one piece, do it up. But if you really like your two pieces, go for it. As a dietitian, not only do I work with individuals about their relationship with food and exercise, but I do a lot of body image work. And through nutrition rehabilitation, a lot of my clients have had bodies that changed and therefore some stretch marks. So I really think it's a good point to bring up that how can we heal our body image, our negative body image, or if we do have negative body image, how can we move into a phase of accepting our bodies? So from my perspective, one of the best angles is making sure that our body, food, and exercise self-care is implemented into our life routine. I love working with my clients on body image and feel like I could talk for days on body image, but most of them become frustrated with this process because it means we have to start talking to ourselves nicer. So I always use the example that Imagine with this is with my clients that imagine every time you come into my office for session, and instead of me greeting you with a nice greeting, I yelled at you or told you a negative statement that you're saying in your head or whatever like, you're you look like crap. You would either never come back to me because ultimately i would be a terrible dietitian or you would not feel safe in my office or worst case scenario you would start to believe those statements that i was saying well that is what we're doing to ourselves when we're saying mean things to ourselves or we're shaming our bodies for stretch marks or varicose veins or things that are really out of our control So what I work with on clients is figuring out how to take care of your body through nutrition, exercise, rest, and self-care, but also challenging the language in which we talk to ourselves. And I couldn't do that without the lovely help of our therapist friends. What do you think, Rachel?
0: I think that everyone has such a beautiful DNA that is formed before our moms even knew we were pregnant. I have so much awe for the creation of humanity. And I just feel that life is difficult enough. Is it really worth spending time fighting the uphill battle of what was formed in your mom's womb? Trying to change your genetics, what kind of impact is that gonna have on your self-esteem and on your thoughts? I'd rather spend time at night reading parenting books, figuring out how to wrangle my little tribe than rubbing cellulite cream on my ass and trying to wrangle my cellulite. I'd personally rather splash in the pool with my kids in whatever bathing suit I feel comfortable in than hiding underneath a towel and covering my stretch marks. I just really believe that we need to have just some gratitude for our DNA, gratitude for our genetics, and let go of any of the judgment associated with any of our bodily changes and tell the beauty industry that their money is not gonna go here. It's not gonna go on our body. I talk to my clients a lot about the concepts of guilt versus shame. Guilt is something that you did wrong, like if you stole something, and you need to make amends and repair the situation. Shame is feeling distress by a negative self-conscious. So many times, people really feel guilty about how their bodies look, guilty about their genetic makeup. But guilt means you've done something wrong, and in this case, you have not done anything wrong. You are just living in a body that was made without any of your opinions on it. Shame is when we really feel so negatively about ourselves that it affects our ability to live. And I really believe that that is when we seek therapy. That's when we seek body positivity. Because you haven't done anything wrong, neither has your body, you need to take a look at what are your values in this life? What do you value more than body shame? How to put your mind and your positive thinking over your matter or your body? I personally rely on perspective a lot when I'm struggling with something. I think that anytime we can put into perspective what's going on in our bodies, whether it's looking at bigger picture issues, whether it's looking at the perspective of would I rather have a child here or stretch marks, any little thing that can really take some of these bodily issues and put them so far down on the list of things we worry about will really help us find that freedom and that body acceptance. Again, you haven't done anything wrong and neither has your body. Thank you so much for joining us today. Join us next time as we go a lot deeper into the concept of your weight. Thanks, everyone. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaVoy.
1: Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production.
0: You can find episode information and show notes at www.momgenesthepodcast.com.
1: Follow us on Instagram at Podcast and join the Mom Jeans The Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you
0: next time.